The brain is so fascinating, and in part one of Going Inside the Brain, we talked about the intricate intelligent structures we find that allow us to instantly recognize sights, sounds, and faces. In today's episode, we'll talk further about how our movements can be made super precise and how meditation actually changes the anatomy of our brain. Hello and welcome to part two of Going Inside the Brain. This is Seth Jump, your professor for Anatomy on the Go, and you can find me online at anatomyonthego.com. Make sure if you go there, hit to to hit subscribe, and you'll get my free ebook, Preparing to Ace Anatomy. It's designed to give you some tactics, tools, and tips to help you really uh, do well in anatomy. So this is part two of Going Inside the Brain. In part one, we talked about the cerebral cortex, different association areas that we find within the brain. We talked about the diencephalon. And today, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to close the gaps, and we're going to talk about uh, the brainstem. We're going to talk about the cerebellum, and we're going to talk about some functional brain systems. We're going to focus on uh, one or two of those. And then I have uh, I bring back a, a little thing from season two called the triple threes where we have some questions at the end to help you synthesize the content for both parts one and parts two so let's talk about the brainstem first the brainstem consists of the midbrain pons and medulla aka medulla oblongata and from superior to inferior we have midbrain then pons then medulla oblongata there's a lot in the brainstem let's start with the midbrain first a key structure here uh, is called the cerebral peduncles, which is a fun uh, anatomical structure to say, honestly. Now, the cerebral peduncles, they house motor tracts, in particular, the corticospinal tracts. Now, these are descending axons carrying voluntary motor information that's you deciding to contract certain muscles. Now, here in the midbrain, you'll also find the superior cerebellar peduncles. They connect the cerebellum to the midbrain. The substantia nigra is also a key structure found in the midbrain. Dopamine is produced by neurons found in this area. Dopamine is important. It regulates things like pleasure and pain, the reward system for pleasure, body movements, and emotional responses. Parkinson's disease affects this area of the brain. The tegmentum is located in between the substantia nigra and another structure, which we'll see here shortly, which is called the periaqueductal gray matter. The tegmentum integrates important postural information between the cerebrum and the cerebellum. And then basically it's sending this involuntary muscle signal to contract muscles maintaining posture, for example. It also regulates arousal through the reticular formation, which is part, part of the tegmentum. So the periaqueductal gray matter, PAG for short, responds to threatening stimuli and can also modulate pain. The tectum is the posterior region of the midbrain, posterior to the cerebral aqueduct, and it contains two pairs of nuclei. And these are superior colliculus and inferior colliculus. Now, what is the purpose of these two colliculi that I refer to? Now, these are the visual reflex center and the auditory reflex center, respectively. So, the superior colliculus is the visual reflex center. Like when you automatically start tracking an object that comes into your field of view, 
or a person who walks into your field of view. You, you turn your head to notice that they are there, and then, of course, you hit the higher thought centers after that and, and start thinking, do I know this person? Have I ever seen them before? Etc. The inferior colliculus is the auditory reflex center. causes you to turn your head if you hear a loud noise, an atypical noise, for example. So both superior colliculus and inferior colliculus are working together quite a bit throughout the day, not even really thinking about it. And then, of course, you do think about it if you need to sort of recognize the sights and sounds. But first is just simply a reflex. Now, remember, additionally, that most cranial nerve nuclei arise from the brainstem, so changing gears here. So, so far from the midbrain, we have cranial nerve 3, oculomotor nerve, and cranial nerve 4, trochlear nerve. So that's the midbrain, first part of the brainstem that we're chatting about. Let's talk about the pons and the medulla oblongata now. The pons is located inferior to the midbrain. It's a place where both sensory and motor pathways are passing both superiorly and inferiorly. So sensory passing superiorly, motor pathways passing inferiorly. Here we'll find the middle cerebral peduncles, which connect the pons to the cerebellum. And then we find the pontine respiratory center also in the pons. It's responsible for regulating key skeletal muscles that are necessary for breathing. Now think about how quickly you can change your respiratory rate when you start any sort of physical activity. It's within seconds, right? Now, medulla oblongata, sometimes we just call this the medulla. This is the most inferior part of the brainstem. Now basically it just runs right into the spinal cord. Within the medulla, we we have tracts that ascend and descend. And there are a few key landmarks that we can locate within the medulla. The pyramids are on the anterior part of the medulla, and they contain the corticospinal tracts. These are the descending motor tracts. So on this point, the point of the descending projection tracts here, the voluntary corticospinal motor tracts, there is a decussation that occurs. There is a crossing over that occurs. So voluntary movements on the left side are controlled by the right cerebral hemisphere and vice versa. Now, if we go just lateral to the pyramids, we find a structure called the olive. Inside, the olive has some gray matter, which is called the inferior olivary nucleus. This nucleus, it's basically its purpose is to relay ascending information to the cerebellum. Another structure here with a super fun name, the cerebellar peduncles. They connect the medulla to the cerebellum as well. And then maybe most importantly for the medulla oblongata are the following autonomic functions, basically automatic. So these include the following. We have a cardiac center, a vasomotor center, and a medullary uh, respiratory center. In the cardiac center, the medulla is controlling both heart rate and the strength of the heart's contraction. In the vasomotor center, the whole idea is to regulate blood pressure. It does so by changing the diameter of smaller arteries, which we call arterioles. Now, how does this happen exactly? There's actually smooth muscle within the walls of arterioles that's innervated. It's uh, innervated with nerves. When that is stimulated or triggered, the diameter of the arteriole is reduced, therefore bringing up blood pressure. So think of a hose. If you uh, apply pressure to the outside of the hose, water is going to come out of the hose with greater pressure, right? In the medullary response center, there are actually two groups, a ventral respiratory group and a dorsal respiratory group. Now, collectively, these two groups are controlling 
respiratory rate. There is an influence of the pontine respiratory center on the medullary respiratory center, so they work together. In addition to these key autonomic functions, cardiac, vasomotor, and respiratory, various nuclei in the medulla are involved, i.e. responsible for, coughing, sneezing, salivation, swallowing, gagging, and, and vomiting. So talk about all kinds of stuff we take for granted in the brainstem. Those cranial nerves I've been mentioning in parts one and two of this brain, several other cranial nerves arise from the medulla. They include cranial nerve 8, vestibulocochlear nerve, cranial nerve 9, glossopharyngeal, cranial nerve 10, vagus, wanders all over the place, cranial nerve uh, 11, accessory, and cranial nerve 12, hypoglossal. Let's talk about the cerebellum. The cerebellum is the second largest part of the brain behind the cerebrum, and it makes our movements very precise. It stores memories of movements and muscular patterns so that we can perform movements that make sense in a rhythmic, uh, logical, coordinated fashion. Now, what about the anatomy of the cerebellum? So the most superficial part is called the cerebellar cortex, and like the cerebral cortex, there are folds. In the cerebellum, these folds are called folia. There are hemispheres as well, left and right cerebellar hemispheres. Between the left and right cerebellar lobes is a narrow band of cortex called the vermis. Now each hemisphere has an anterior lobe and a posterior lobe. They are separated by a primary fissure. The white matter that we find deep to the cortex is called arborvitae, which means tree of life. It looks like the branches of a tree. Key here are different tracts, which are called peduncles, that link the cerebellum with the brainstem. They are superior cerebellar peduncles, middle cerebellar peduncles, and inferior cerebellar peduncles. The superior ones connect the cerebellum to the midbrain. The middle ones, they are connecting the pons to the cerebellum. And then the inferior cerebellar peduncles, they are connecting the cerebellum to the medulla. Now, overall, what is the purpose of this cerebellum? Well, it's important to know first that the cerebellum is not responsible for the initiation of movement. It's fine-tuning the movement, making it precise. It's retrieving memories of various movements. It's also receiving proprioceptive information from the muscles and the joints. 
So an example that you could use in this case for proprioceptive information is think about a recent time you may have gone to a nature preserve and taken a hike and on uneven terrain. And so proprioceptive information about your the orientation of your, your feet, for example, in space uh, in reference to the trail is getting sent back to the central nervous system. And then you're adjusting. You're making different types of muscle contractions in response to this information. You could apply this to uh, your upper limbs as well. Um, you may need to, like if you're cooking and you need to move something in space in a different way, the proprioceptive information is there. You know, you're cutting an onion. It's sent back to the central nervous system, and then you adjust. Maybe you contract more your interforums and then your posteriforums, and then you move your thumb muscles. And so that information is sent back, and then your cerebellum makes the adjustments that are necessary to make those movements more precise and logical for what you're doing. Now, the last aspect we'll talk about today is a functional brain system called the limbic system. A functional brain system does just that. It achieves a particular function. The limbic system is the emotional brain. It has a few different parts, but one of the more fascinating parts is the amygdala. It's involved in emotions, principally fear. So what I find fascinating is that meditation can actually modify the amygdala, both anatomy and physiology, shrinking it overall, as well as its importance in our responses to what is occurring in our daily lives. So we have a case where practice, where something we are actually doing is changing the circuitry of our brain. Now, this is just one example, right? There's so many things that are changing the circuitry of our brain, including learning, um, are, are basically our habituated responses to things. And so this is so fascinating. And we could probably have another 10 episodes just about brain, uh, about the brain, about learning, about habits, how habits are formed, how, they're, how we rewire and wire our brains. Now, with that acknowledgement that we could have probably 10 to 20 more podcasts about the central nervous system, the brain, the spinal cord, all the associated nuclei that we find there and all the different tiny details and structures that we find in the brain. Let's close down the brain for now. And I hope you have found these two episodes about the uh, going deeper within the brain, the intricate structures we find, and they're helpful. But now it's time in the podcast for the triple threes. Three types of questions, three questions for each type. So I have true-false Name the part of the brain given the descriptors, and then I have fill in the blank. So let me start with true-false. The thalamus serves as both a sensory relay center as well as location for regulating body temperature. So that would be false, right? It does indeed serve as a sensory relay center, but the regulation of body temperature is describing the hypothalamus. Next one. The corpus callosum is a key example of a projection tract in which information is shared or projected between the left and right cerebral hemispheres. So that is false. The corpus callosum is where there are commissural tracts. Projection tracts are descending motor tracts. So there's actually a bit of a distractor in that the wording of that question or that statement the past tense verb projected. So be aware of little distractors in statements or questions 
They're just designed to get you thinking critically and not trying to trick you, but it happens, right? Cranial nerves three and four originate from the midbrain. True. Cranial nerve three, oculomotor nerve, and cranial nerve four, trochlear nerve, both originate from the midbrain. So now I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to provide three descriptors, and then you say the type or the part of the brain given those descriptors. So first one, arbrevite vermis fine-tunes movements. So that is describing the cerebellum. Next, ADH, which is antidiuretic hormone, oxytocin, hypothalamus. So they're looking for very specific structures called paraventricular nucleus and supraoptic nucleus. Those are both found within the hypothalamus, and they produce ADH and oxytocin. Three more descriptors. Located laterally, making sense of spices at dinner, making sense of whose voice we just heard. So that would be the temporal lobe. Lastly, last of the triple threes, we have fill in the blank. Cranial nerve 8, which is called the blank, and cranial nerve 10, which is called the blank, arise from the medulla oblongata. So the first blank, cranial nerve 8, is called the vestibular cochlear nerve, and the next blank, cranial nerve 10, is called the vagus nerve, both arising from the medulla oblongata. The motor speech area is known as blank area. So this would be Broca area, a.k.a. Broca's area. Lastly, the blank lobe is involved in higher thought and analysis, and the blank lobe is known as the somatosensory cortex. So frontal lobe involved in higher thought and analysis, and parietal lobe, somatosensory cortex. So here's a quote that I really like, and after I read her book, I just have always thought about this quote. And the quote is, everything is figureoutable. And the person who, who came up with this, give credit to her, her name is Marie Forleo. She wrote a book of the same name. But it's a great quote, right? It's sort of an, it's an empowering quote. It, it starts you thinking about solutions. You can apply this to your study of anatomy. Um, and how you you study best, how you're going to get your A. So I really like this. Thought I'd pass this along to you. So hope things are going well for you this week and all that you're up to, and look forward to uh, chatting with you in the next episode. Uh, don't forget to go over to my website, hit subscribe, get a free ebook, Preparing Taste Anatomy, and then I'd encourage you to check out the Ace Anatomy Bundle. You're basically locking in your value Uh, because things are going to keep being added to that. So until the next episode drops, all the very best. Good luck with your studying, and I'll see you later.